Once in a while, uh, probably like if you're like me, you see a commercial on television that you kind of resonate with and makes you laugh. I saw one of those recently. I have to confess, and this is always risky, I don't know what they were advertising. Um, I don't know if that says more about them or me um, in their advertising. I know... Uh, what they're trying to promote. But the commercial has a couple of people in the beginning of it, and at the beginning of the commercial, they, uh, they're in there, and they say, we are never going to get married. And then you see them getting married, and, and then you uh, see them on an airplane. I, I believe it's on an airplane, and, the, and the, there's kids screaming around them, and they say, we are never having kids. And the next thing you know, they're in the hospital delivery room and taking home their little baby, and and then they're living their urban lifestyle, and they say, we are never moving to the suburbs. And you see him cutting the lawn in the suburbs with his minivan. And, and then they, one, he's scrubbing crayons. The, the guy's scrubbing crayons off the wall in the house, and his wife walks by. and says, we are never having another kid. And she says, I'm pregnant. And I just watched that commercial and just like, yeah, I know right where they're at. And some of you who are parents may resonate with that as well. And we're continuing in our series, a series of strange messages this morning with a message called Strange Parents. And I know in uh, here today, there's many of you who aren't parents, many of you uh, who don't have children, or many of you, some of you even, uh, maybe children yourselves that are in here, and you may think, oh, this message doesn't apply to me. But I hope that when we come to any message in the church, in the Christian life, we recognize that it's important to understand what God says about all kinds of things in the Christian life. And you may be a parent one day, even if you're not one now, or you're going to know people who are parents, and they want, might want to know, well, what does the Bible say about being a Christian parent? And so I think the message is appropriate for everyone to listen to this morning, and I hope you'll find something in it, whether you are a parent today or not. I love being a parent. Um, I hope you do too if you are one. I mean, there are challenges. It's a tough job at times, a great responsibility, and yet something I love. I remember the first day my son was born, uh, sitting in that hospital room. Uh, they had to take my wife out for a little while, so I got about 20 minutes with just me and my newborn son. And I remember in that moment, and maybe it was similar to you, that instantly everything changed in my mind and in my life. Suddenly, and I can't explain this if you haven't experienced, but because I've never experienced it any other place in my life, but suddenly my perspective and my, my priorities changed instantly, and I didn't mind, and I didn't care. Because for some reason, I looked down at this little baby and recognized that this changes everything and I'm okay with that. But the great responsibility of being a parent is not an easy one. What's interesting to me looking through the Bible is this reminder that there are no perfect parents. I don't know if you know that or not, and maybe that's just a relief for you, and maybe that's the one thing you just need to receive this morning. There are no perfect parents. There's no perfect parents because there's no perfect kids. And it's true that there are no perfect parents. I, I think sometimes, even when you look through the Bible, I've looked through in this, uh, this past weeks, and I looked, I said, there are no perfect parents in the Bible. 
One of the things I love about God's Word is it doesn't hide the truth from us about the people and the stories that God tells us about in there. And there are no perfect parents in the Bible. Sometimes you look at the, the people in the Bible and think, there's a great man of God. Wow, he must have had great parents. Or there's a great woman of God. There must have been great parents. But almost every time, I'm sure there was an instance in their life where maybe we wouldn't have said that. You think of a great man like Moses in the Old Testament, right? And Moses' mom must have been an incredible woman. The Bible says that when Moses was born, they realized that he was not like any other child. Every parent thinks that, right? But the Bible says this about Moses' parents, that he was not like any other child. And so they did something that was a great risk. They protected him in a day and age where uh, the rulers of that time said, look, if you have a baby boy, you've got to turn it over to us. And they were killing all the baby boys of the Israelites at that time. But Moses' mom and dad said, no, this, is, this boy is special. We've got to protect him. And so at risk of their own lives, they hid him as long as they could and protected him. And then she sent him off, if you know the story, to Pharaoh's palace to be raised by Pharaoh's daughter as a prince in the kingdom of Egypt. And what an incredible parents. And yet, some years down the road, perhaps Moses' mom is sitting around having tea with some ladies and they ask, so how's Moses doing? We haven't seen him around in a while. Oh, yeah, well, he's, he's living as a fugitive from justice after he murdered that Egyptian. And he's been living in the desert for decades among foreign people. And we even heard that he took a foreign wife. And I have probably at that moment, Moses' mom might not have felt so great about her parenting. Or maybe at that time, she, like many of us, would say, maybe I should have done something different. All these great people in the Bible, you know, you think about David's mom, the greatest king of Israel, does all these great things. He's a man after God's own heart, no question. And yet when David is in that deep, dark place in his life that he commits adultery and then murders to cover it up, I'm guessing his mom wouldn't have felt like mom of the year at that moment. But sometimes we put this pressure on ourselves to be perfect parents, and yet there are no perfect parents. Even the one person in the Bible that I can not even find really one negative thing said about, there's only one person in the Bible other than Jesus that I've found that there's almost nothing negative said about him. His name is Samuel, a priest in the Old Testament. And yet even Samuel, the one thing that could be said Maybe negative about him. The Bible says when Samuel was old and he was ready to step down as priest, that the people said, we don't want your sons to serve as priests because they are not walking with the Lord like you are. And here's this great Old Testament man, and yet his sons are not walking with the Lord. There are no perfect parents, because to be a perfect parent, you have to have perfect kids. The only one I can see in the Bible like that is Jesus but even Mary and Joseph lost Jesus at one point. Twelve years old, they leave him in one of the greatest metropolitan cities of their time and walk away without him. There are no perfect parents. Why is it there are no perfect parents and no perfect kids? Because I think too often, Christians, when it comes to parenting, we present it like some kind of vending machine that you put this in and you're automatically going to get this out. The problem is that we fail to take into account humanity's propensity to go their own way 
and God's gift of giving them the freedom to choose to do so. We cannot take the one thing away from our children and from people that God himself did not take away. God gave his children, Adam and Eve, in the garden, everything they needed for the perfect life. He is the perfect parent, the perfect father. He loved, provided for them, fed them, set them up with rewarding work and meaningful work. And yet he did not take away from them the freedom to choose not to love him, not to serve him, not to obey. To serve or not to serve, he did not take that away. To accept his gifts or go after their own way, he did not take them away. There's a lot we can do as parents, but if God was not willing to take away a person's ability to choose, neither can we. Now, that being said, don't hear what I'm not saying. What I'm not saying is that means you just Throw everything out there and throw your hands up and say, well, what good is it? Forget it. Let them choose whatever they want. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm not saying is you just say, well, I'm just going to put all the options out there and they'll choose the way that they want to go. I don't believe that's what the Bible teaches as well. God made following him the most attractive option possible for Adam and Eve. He gave them everything. He made it the most attractive thing that there could be, yet they were tempted and gave in to temptation and went their own way. That's one of the jobs as Christian parents, to make following God the most attractive option uh, that the, our kids will experience. As a Christian parent, you need to be very intentional in what you do. You need to be as intentional as an archer aiming at a target. Psalm 127 says this, Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from Him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are, child, like, are children born in one's youth. I want to jump off that metaphor a bit this morning and talk about this idea of children being arrows and you as parents and we as parents looking at aiming them. Because here's the point. The arrow is going to go somewhere. The arrow is going to go somewhere. Arrows are made to be shot and this arrow will go somewhere. Every child is going to end up somewhere with their life. The timing might change or the look might be different, but the arrow will go somewhere. And so my question for you this morning is, what are you aiming at? If you are a Christian parent and you, if you're a parent and you have children and you're following God, what are you aiming at? If children are arrows and we are, in a sense, sort of like archers. What are you aiming your children at? What is the goal? What's the mission? What it, at the end of it that you will say, yes, I hit the target? What are you aiming at as a parent? Now, I don't know a lot about archery. I don't know that I've ever really... I don't know. I can't remember if I've even ever actually shot an actual bow and arrow, maybe at Royal Rangers or something at one point. But I do have to say I've got some mad skills when it comes to Wii Sports archery. That's my avatar, obviously, before the beard. I haven't updated him yet. I need to update him with a little bit more facial hair there. But I do know something about archery because I play Wii Sports archery. Expert level, you might note. 
and you can see that I uh, am pretty good. If you go to the next slide, you can see, there we go. See this evidence. I know something about archery. And so I want to talk to you this morning as an expert on archery and on parenting. Um, I want to talk to you this morning about what are you aiming at when it comes to your children and parenting. And I want to, tell, I want to jump off this metaphor of shooting an arrow. And let me just jump right in with, I think, some analogies that hold true in both cases, how to shoot an arrow and how to raise a child. And the first one is this. In order to shoot an arrow, you need to have tension on the bow. One of the things, in order to make the arrow go anywhere, it involves tension. You have to pull back, which can be uncomfortable. You have to exert effort, and you have to engage tension on the bow if the arrow is going to go anywhere. You feel, you feel tension when raising kids, and the thing is we often try to eliminate it. I think parents will try to eliminate tension in the life of raising kids. We don't want tension in the home. So we try and eliminate it as much as we can in their lives and in our lives. But the truth is that we only grow through tension. If you think about it, the times in your life that you have experienced times of growth, I'm guessing that there were times that you experienced some degree of tension in your life. It'll be the same with your kids. If you could remove every aspect of tension from their life, you'd likely remove every aspect of growth from their life. Our goal as parents should not always be to eliminate tension, but to teach kids how to grow and live for God within the tension. Yes, tension is the place that we risk breaking and doing damage, but tension is also important. Let me give you an example, a quick example from that I, I thought of for me and my kids from this last week, and I asked Isaac's permission to share this this morning. But um, so this, that last, this past week, he, Isaac's a reader. He loves reading books, and, and so I can't always keep up with him. I don't always read every book before he reads it. Maybe you do that as a parent, but I'm not always keep up with him. But this week, he was reading a book that he had uh, bought from a, from a someplace from Scholastic Books, I think. And, um, and so he's, he's reading this book, and it was something about Al Capone does my homework. Um, and it was a children's book or written from the perspective of a child, uh, though it still did involve Al Capone, I guess, a mobster. And I, but I figured, well, it's a children's book written from a children's perspective, and it's going to be pretty safe, and I suppose it probably was. But this week, uh, right before he went to sleep, Isaac said to me, Dad, you want to know something about Al Capone? And I said, sure, tell me about Al Capone. And I was expecting some kind of fact of where he was born and, or, or something about where he's, you know, his life or something like that. He said, Al Capone used to invite his enemies to his home for dinner, and then his guys would lock the doors behind them and then beat them to death with baseball bats. I thought, that isn't the fact I expected to hear about Al Capone. I said, I didn't know that about Al Capone. Why do you know that about Al Capone? But let me tell you this. My first instinct was to say, give me that book. What are you reading? And to take it away from him. And, and actually, he said to me, oh, I won't read it anymore if you don't want me reading it anymore. And then I looked at him, and I realized something. I realized that he wasn't 
the toddler that was running around my house not too long ago. That he wasn't, um, you know, six or seven years old running around the house, that he was, I looked at him, he was a nine-year-old boy, and he's growing up in a world where these things are a reality, where he's going to learn about them. And I looked at him, and I actually apologized, and I said, no, you know what, I'm sorry. I don't, you don't have to stop reading the book, but let's talk about the book, because you're getting older, this is the world you live in, these are the realities of some of the things that happen, let's talk about what do you think about what Al Capone did, what do you think about these things. And the idea, my first response, though, was to eliminate the tension. My first response was to say, let's get rid of the tension. Let's, let's put this off. Let's not talk about it. Let's just stop reading the book. And I don't think that was the right response in that moment. The proper response was to say, let's talk about this and process it through a biblical worldview. And, and talk about it together. And as your kids grow, and as a parent, there'll be times of tension, and your temptation will often be to eliminate the tension. But tension is needed if you're going to shoot the arrow. There'll be times when you are going to have to not eliminate the tension, but manage the tension and work within the tension. And so you need tension on the bow to shoot an arrow. Secondly, this, if you're going to shoot an arrow, you need to take into account the wind and the conditions which you're shooting the arrow. You're shooting your arrow in different conditions than your parents before you. And you're shooting the arrow in different conditions than their parents before them. The wind is different. The temptations are different. And you need to be aware of them. You can't just let your uh, children run free on a computer and to recognize that they can go to another place while they're sitting at their desk. If we don't realize that reality, we don't recognize the conditions that we're raising our kids in. There are conditions in, uh, around our children that will constantly try and pull that arrow in one direction or another. Uh, the wind is constantly trying to blow that arrow one way or the other, and you and I would be wise to know which way the wind is blowing and trying to exert pressure on them. Let me give you an example from the Bible from a man named Solomon, the wisest man the Bible says that ever lived. Solomon, uh, who had uh, wrote the book of Proverbs and understood what wisdom is, and yet by the end of his life, got diverted off course. When Solomon was writing to his children about what was important, much of Proverbs is really a book of letters and, and sayings from a father to a son. In Proverbs chapter 4, he says this. He says, my child, pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. Don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart, for they bring life to those who find them, and healing to their whole body. Verse 23, listen to this. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Avoid all perverse talk. Stay away from corrupt speech. Look straight ahead and fix your eyes on what lies before you. Mark out a straight path for your feet. Stay on the safe path. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. I might say it, keep the arrow flying straight. And the way to do that, he says in verse 23, is guard your heart above all else, 
for it determines the course of your life. Solomon knew this. Solomon told his son this. But here's the problem. Solomon had trouble following his own advice. Later on in the first Kings, it says this about Solomon. When Solomon had the chance to ask God for anything in the world, God said, you know what? Ask me for anything and it's yours. Solomon said, so give your servant a discerning, say it with me, heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong for who is able to govern this great people of yours. He goes on to say that God did that. And then God responds in this way after Solomon prayed in 1 Kings chapter 9, as for you, if you walk with me before me in integrity of, say it again, heart and uprightness as David your father did and do all I command and observe my decrees, my laws, it goes on to say you'll be blessed and I'll bless you. Solomon knew it. He told his son. God had told him. But then later on in Solomon's life, in 1 Kings chapter 11, it says he had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his, say it with me, heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. Son, guard your heart above all else because it determines the course of your life. Solomon knew it. Solomon taught it. Solomon heard it from God. And yet the winds in his life were able to steer him and steer his heart away from God. You, you might, if you're not familiar with what, the events of Solomon's wives, you may say, well, what happened? What are you talking about? 700 wives weren't necessarily because Solomon just wanted 700 wives. It was political moves. It, would, it, was, it was treaties with other nations and other countries, and it was entering into relationship with other countries through marriage, and Solomon did that, and God had told him not to do that, and he didn't protect his heart, and when he brought all these wives in, they said, well, I want to worship my God, and I want to worship my God, and I want to worship the gods of my country, and Solomon said, okay, 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 and his heart got diverted from God. And this man who had all the head knowledge he needed the arrow got diverted because of the winds that pushed him. What are the winds that are pushing your child? What are the winds that are exerting pressure on your child? The elements are going to be there. You can't stop the wind, but you would be a fool not to be aware of them and compensate accordingly. You can't stop some of the influences and some of the things your child will see and experience and have knowledge of, but we would be a fool to not know them and compensate accordingly. No matter what your child is into, your job as a parent is to help them process it with a biblical worldview. Your child may be into computers or sports or gaming or music. They'll be into something. You need to be aware of those elements and help them see them as God sees them. This doesn't mean you go around condemning everything. It means you help them in what they're doing, find the beauty, find God, find God's truth maybe in what they're doing but it means you help them process it through a biblical worldview. And so what are the winds that are exerting pressure on your child? Do you know them? Do you know the winds, the, the elements that are counteracting some of the efforts that you are putting in place? 
And how are you going to compensate for that? Third thing is this, to shoot an arrow, you need to aim high to shoot far. To shoot an arrow, you need to aim high to shoot far. If I've learned anything from We Resort Sports, <laughs> you need to aim high to shoot far. That target, if it's 35 or 40 yards away, the gravity is going to pull on that arrow, and you've got to aim higher if you're going to hit that target. What are you aiming at? Are you aiming your child and your arrow? Is the target a well-adjusted life lived on earth? Is the target that they would be good citizens, have a good job, a good education, maybe make a little more money than you, maybe have a little bigger house than you, that they would maybe cause as little harm and pain as possible, they would have good friends and good family, is that the target that you're aiming at? Is that, the, is that what you're aiming at? That they would, they would just be uh, good, nice people on earth? I think sometimes, often, we can be satisfied with that. But strange parents aim high in order to shoot far. And if you want the arrow to travel far beyond this life into eternity with God, you have to aim high. You need to aim higher than this life if the arrow is going to travel far. If your kids have all the things that I just mentioned, is that enough? If your kids have all the things that I just mentioned but aren't serving the Lord or, or aren't following Jesus, is that enough? Now, as I said, there's a matter of their choice that's going to be involved in that. But as far as you have control, as far as you have influence, as far as you have ability, what is the target you're setting out there for them? Is it more important for you that they have a certain job than that they're following Jesus? And if it's not, how would they know that? Is it more important to you that they go to a certain school or that they're following Jesus? And if not... How would they know that? And if I asked them, what answer would they give me? Aim high to shoot far. Strange parents aim high in order to shoot far. You can do a lot to influence the flight of that arrow. If you're, is your aim that they would follow Jesus and serve the Lord? Or is your aim that they would just be well-adjusted in this life here on earth? What are you aiming at? And the fourth thing is this. In order to shoot an arrow, at some point, you need to let it fly. At some point, you need to let go of that string and let the arrow fly. Scary stuff to launch the arrow. It's scary because once it's out of your hand, you've done all you can, and all you can do is watch and pray. You may be able to exhibit and exert some bit of influence when they're older and when they've left your house, but it's not going to be the same influence that you had when they were younger. Not all seasons are equal. Not all times in life are equal. You have a different influence at certain times in their life. At some point, though, you've got to let it fly. It's if it stays on the bow, all that tension will eventually break the bow and the arrow won't go anywhere. At 
some point, you've got to let the arrow fly because that's what an arrow was designed to do. And at some point, as parents, you've got to let them and launch them out and trust that everything that's been poured into them will direct the flight of their path. But how do we do that? How do we direct the arrow? Let me just give you a few things that I think can help us as parents to help guide the flight of our arrow and to help us aim at uh, heaven and God and not just aim at this world. Uh, let me give you a couple things that, uh, that I think can be helpful. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6 says this to parents. It says, these commandments that I give you today, God is saying, are to be upon your hearts, impress them on your children, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your houses and on the gates. And I would look at that and say this, that one of the things, the responsibilities we have as parents in order to see children travel to the target we're aiming at is it's our responsibility to share the story consistently and in our daily life. God's saying, look, in your daily life, in the stuff you do daily, when you take walks, teach them about God. When you're doing your work, teach them about God. You're not always preaching, but you're finding God in the daily life. It's not just something we talk about on Sunday. It's a part of our lives daily. And so you, our responsibility is to share the story. Let them see that this following Jesus thing is a part of your daily life, that leaning upon Jesus, looking to him for wisdom is a part of our daily life. It's our responsibility to share the story is what God tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Another scripture I think that is helpful is Exodus chapter 13. It's talking about the Passover feast, and God says this, On that day, tell your son, I do this because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. It's your responsibility and our responsibility to always be teaching. If your son or your daughter asks you, why do you do this? The things that you would say, I do this because of what the Lord did for me. Why do you forgive that person? I forgive because of the Lord has forgiven me. Why, do we, why, why are we giving this away? Why are we showing this kind of love? We do this because of what God has done for us. Always teaching, always looking for opportunities to point to God. I love this scripture from Exodus. Just remind why do you do it? We do it because of what God did for us. That's a part of our life. That's who we are. That's our DNA. Always teaching, looking for opportunities to teach, and always looking for opportunities to talk about the Lord. I think some questions that are helpful in, in thinking about teaching and, uh, and talking about the Lord is to ask the question, what do you celebrate in your home? What do you affirm? What gets rewarded? Does a daily decision, godly decision, get rewarded and affirmed as much as the trophy for the sports accomplishment or the report card? Does the, hey, that was a good thing that you did, in fact, that was a godly thing that you did, get celebrated and affirmed as the A on the report card or the 
or the accomplishment at the sporting event? What gets affirmed? What gets celebrated? Because this is what I believe, especially when kids are young, whatever's important to you will be important to them. That's one of the ways you guide the direction of the arrow. What's important to you will become important to them, and if it's not important to you, it's probably not going to be important to them. And so what's important in your house? What's celebrated in your house? If we only reward celebrations that come with report cards and trophies, then what, that's what will be important to them. Celebrate daily godly decisions your kids make. Other passages in scriptures that, um, that speak to us as parents, Ephesians chapter 6 is one there, especially to fathers. I think it's written to fathers because we're more tempted towards this, not that mothers shouldn't obey it as well. But I think fathers are more given to falling into this temptation. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. A reminder to not provoke our children, but to win them with the kindness of the Lord. That's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. There's a lot that can be said about this verse, but I'll just kind of leave it there at the moment that it's our responsibility. And that if you find yourself as a parent or as a dad especially, and you're just, because I'm the dad, and you're just exasperating your kids, that the Bible and God speaks to that in this verse. The last thing I'll say as a piece of advice is this, and this is one that I've been that God's been kind of working in my heart recently, and I just wanted to share it with you this morning that I think it's a truth for us as parents. And I'm learning about it, and, and maybe you already know about it, but God's been kind of working this in my heart in this. Your role as a parent is to do for your kids what they can't do for themselves. I'm learning that my role as a parent is to do for my kids what they can't do for themselves and not to do for them what they can do for themselves, okay? You understand the difference, right? This year, you know, we, when we started the school year, we said, you know, this, we need to make some changes because we're going crazy getting ready for every day of school. And we realized, you know what? These kids are getting older. You know what? You can make your own lunch, you can help empty the dishwasher. You can help set the table. You can do those kinds of things. Because, yeah. And I don't have to do, I'm not called to do for you what you can do for yourself. In fact, what I'm called to do is do for you what you can't do for yourself. And so as the kids get older, that looks different, right? I mean, when they're young, you've got to do everything for them. I mean, everything between walking, carrying them around, feeding them, whatever. You have to do everything. But as they get older and they can do more things for themselves, if you never put them down and carry them everywhere, they never learn to walk. And it's true in other places in life, too. If we're always doing for our kids everything they could do for themselves, they never learn to grow. And so let me just take it a step further. As your kids grow, the things that they can't do for themselves may look a little bit differently. It's not just setting the table and doing physical stuff, though that, I think, is a, a part of it. There are spiritual things 
that at some stages, your kids will need them to do for you them. Teach them to pray. Tell them the stories. But as they get older, they need to learn to do that for themselves. Now, when they're young, I need to do for them what they can't do for themselves. I need to tell them the story because they can't do that for themselves. I need to share it with them. I need to take this time a year and say, this is why we remember the coming of Christ. This is what, this is what Christmas is all about. I need to share this story. So I need to do for them what they can't do for them. As they get older, do for them what they can't do for themselves. Pray for them when they're not praying for themselves. Intercede for them. Your kids may have walked away from God and they're not, and they're not following God. You do for them what they're not doing for themselves. Pray for them. Pray God's intervention in their life. Pray down God's blessing in their life. Pray God to change their heart and draw them towards him. But you're not called to do for them what they can do for themselves. They need you to do what they can't do for themselves. And if you're always doing what they could do for themselves, you're going to miss the responsibility of doing what they can't do for themselves. And so what are you aiming at? What are you aiming at for your children? And how are you going to make sure that that arrow goes towards the target? God the Father is our model and our sustainer. He is the great archery coach. And the Holy Spirit is behind you, within you, whispering your ear, mom and dad, whispering in your ear a little to the left. Do you see that wind? Do you see that in your son's life? Do you see that in your daughter's life? Let's watch out for that. Aim a little higher. Good job, mom. Good job, dad. Okay, now let it fly. And God's spirit is with you as you lead and direct and guide your children. What are you aiming at? My encouragement to you as parents is if you've never done it, that your response to this message today, sometime this week, that you would sit down. If you're a single parent, that you would sit down either by yourself or maybe sit down with another uh, woman or man of God that's following the Lord that might help you with this. Or If you're a couple, that you guys would sit down together and say, what are we aiming at? Help me, help us write this down. What are we aiming at? What am I trying to aim my kids at? And write down a mission for you as a parent. Write down a target. Maybe if you're, if you're uh, doing this uh, together, that you would first, as a wife, write it down, and then as a husband, write it down, and see how close your targets match and then come up together with what we're going to aim at with our kids. Let's pray. Father, 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 we thank you that you are our Heavenly Father. We thank you that you have shown yourself to us as a father who loves his children perfectly, as a father who provides, as a father who corrects, as a father who directs, 
as a father who loves, as a father who cares. Thank you. Thank you that you are our model, but you are also the one who sustains us and strengthens us. Lord, I pray for those in here who are parents today. Those who have labored under the scrutiny of trying to be perfect parents. Not because they have any outside pressure, but just because of the awesome responsibility and awesome love that they have for their kids, and so they want to be perfect parents. And yet, Lord, it's a standard that will never be reached. But, Lord, we lean upon your grace and your Holy Spirit to help us to be the best parents we can be for our children. And so, Lord, I ask that you would speak to parents today and that you would help us answer that question of what we're aiming at and how we're going to direct that arrow towards that target, Lord. God, would you speak to us today? I thank you for your grace that covers us when we make mistakes and we fall short and it feels often as parents. We're grateful that your grace is enough. And so, Lord, I pray that if there are parents in here and they just need to experience a touch of your grace, that they have heaped maybe guilt upon themselves or maybe someone else has, Lord, that they would experience your grace today, Lord. There are parents in here whose hearts break for their children. Lord, I pray that you would let them know that you have not forgotten about them, that you've not abandoned them. Lord, and that you would minister today. Father, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand this morning? And we're going to close our service out with a, just a time of prayer. Our elders will be at the either side of the altar. If you have anything that you like to pray about, they're here to pray with you. But during this last, as we sing this song, perhaps you, especially as a parent, just need to come and spend some time at the altar, maybe confessing something, maybe asking God for his strength and power. Maybe you want to come here with your kids, pray for them. Maybe you want to come and pray for your kids. Maybe if you're not a parent here, there's a parent in your life that you know is struggling and is experiencing pain, that you would come and lift them up this morning. Let's take some time as we close out this service to experience the Lord and to engage the Lord in prayer and allow Him to minister to us as we close out our service this morning in worship.